we, uh, it's kind of funny how Christmas traditions change over the years um, when it comes to opening gifts. Um, when, when I was a little kid, um, the whole gift-giving, opening present thing was super traditional. I mean, my brother and I would go to sleep at night with no presents under the tree, and then we would wake up on Christmas morning, and magically Santa had appeared, and there were lots of gifts from Santa Claus and from us and from other people, but that was what our... That's how it started out, right? Anybody do Christmas that way or at one point did Christmas that way, right? Well, as we got a little bit older, the the urge to open gifts got a little bit greater. So we'd kind of switched and we would do one present on Christmas Eve and then we would do rest on Christmas morning. And we could guarantee that the present, well, we'd get two um, because one present would be pajamas that my parents would be giving us, or something, socks, or something to sleep in that night. And then they would give us an early toy, just so that we would stop crying about only opening socks or pajamas on Christmas Eve. And then we would open up the rest on Christmas morning. And then we became teenagers. And just like every other teenager on the planet who highly values sleep, um, we decided, my brother and I, that this whole idea of getting up at like 5 in the morning was for the birds. And so we just pleaded with our parents that we would open up all our gifts on Christmas Eve, and then everybody could just sleep in and then just play and clean and do all that stuff. And and that's how it morphed for us. Is there any teenagers in the room that wish it was like that? Just get it? No? You're like, no, not happening. We want it on Christmas morning. But we all we all have different Christmas traditions, right? Um, well, tonight we're talking about the gift that God gave us. And... I think everybody in the room here tonight is probably in the same position and recognizing that, that Jesus is the greatest gift that was ever given in this world for all of us. Um, and that he's an unmatchable, unmatchable gift. Well, today um, we're going to be talking about this Jesus, this Emmanuel, God with us. Um, but we're going to be looking at it maybe from a little bit different perspective. Um, about this gift. And I just have four quick thoughts for you about this gift of Jesus. And, and the first one is this, is that this gift of Jesus was a gift that was well planned out. It was a gift that was well planned out. I mean, I don't know if any of you kind of get in that gift-giving rut that you know that every single year you're either going to get or give the exact same gift to the exact same person year after year and after year. And it's just going to happen. Like for some people, it's, you know, it's like pajamas or, or cologne or, or, or something, you know, that you're giving to this other person. And you really don't have to think about it that much. It's just automatically going to happen. You know you're going to get it. Well, for me, um, for probably the last 10 or 12 years, my parents have gotten me the same gift. Now, I probably get two or three gifts, but I can guarantee that two or three from my parents or, or one of the two or three is going to be exactly the same thing. Two days ago, Haley and I got a box from my mom and dad um, with our Christmas presents in it. And so the postman dropped it off, rang the doorbell, we brought it inside, and we were thinking, do we really want to wait until Christmas Day you know, to open this? So we decided to open it right away. So we open up the box, and inside the box, my parents actually went all out, and they wrapped each individual gift inside of the box, which was kind of a nice touch. But the very first box, on top of the rest of the boxes, all wrapped in the same paper, had a special ribbon wrapped around it that said Victoria's Secret. 
Now, I can guarantee you that my mom and dad are not buying something for Haley from Victoria's Secret. It's just, that's a little bit weird. And it's probably even more weird that my parents are buying me something from Victoria's Secret. But they've been doing this and buying the exact same gift for the last, last 10 or 12 years. And it's cologne. Um, called Very Sexy for him. It's in the men's section at Victoria's. Now, that's probably a little bit weird that your parents are buying their son cologne called Very Sexy, but I know every single year, if you want to smell it, I got it on right now. It's really, really good. Um, I can guarantee you that I'm going to get that gift from my mom and dad every, is that right, babe? Every single year it is coming. It's not something... That's well thought out. But if you're getting something really special for somebody, you have a tendency to plan it out well, right? I remember when um, I asked Haley to marry me. Um, a th- about a month before we, uh, I proposed on April 20th, um, I, uh, we went to Lewis Jewelers and went and started looking at rings and, you know, and trying on different ones. And they took us to the first case and like, the rings were like ten and fifteen and twenty thousand dollars. And I looked at the guy and said, "Look, I'm a poor youth pastor. We're gonna have to go to a different box." And a tear went down Haley's eye as we walked away from that box. It's true. I didn't say this during the first service, but I just remembered that. And then we went to another box, and I said, "Well, this is probably still out of our range." And so it took us to the third box of rings. And in the in that ring, in that box was a beautiful ring. And Haley's like, "Oh, I love this ring." She doesn't have it on tonight, but I just I just doesn't fit right now. Um, it, I just love this ring, and it's just really beautiful. And, and uh, so I said, well, okay, you know, I'll keep that in mind. And we went and got the car. And I said, babe, I'm going to go back in and talk to the guy real quick. And I'm sure she got excited when I said that. But I went in, and I bought the ring. Um, but I didn't, I didn't tell her I bought the ring. I just bought the ring. And I left it there, and I said, I'll come pick it up, you know, because he had to size it and all that stuff in like a week. But when I got out to the car, you know, I just started downplaying this whole ring-looking experience. And I said, babe, I mean, you know, I, this, this engagement stuff, I, I really don't have money for a ring right now, but I, I really wanted to kind of look, and so let's not, you know, I don't know when it's going to be. It's probably, you know, if I started budgeting right now, it's probably going to be like two or three or four paychecks when, that I can get all the money together to buy this ring. And, and uh, she's like, okay, well, no big deal. But, but I'd already bought the ring. And uh, when we Got back to the house the next day. I called some friends. I said, okay, you guys have to help me plan this out. And, and so I got a couple ladies in our church to decorate a room, a back room, that had this beautiful fireplace in it. And so we had, like, tool hanging down in this square, in this cube. And in the middle of this cube was a, a table with a black tablecloth on it. And had rose petals and a huge, um, you know, vase full of red roses. And, and it was just actually amazing beautiful Christmas lights, you know, going through the tool, and so it made it real bright and shiny, and I talked to a couple girls in the youth group, I talked them into into dressing up as hostesses, like at a restaurant, and a couple guys in my youth group had been begging us to let them cook us lunch, which I would never allow a high school or a junior high guy to cook dinner for us, but I did allow them to act like the cooks, and they were waiters, and and, uh, we, we bought Johnny Carino's, and and so we had this huge plan, this huge decoration. It took like a week to set up, right? And, um, and it was on a Saturday afternoon at about 11 o'clock. We were going to drive and go get lunch somewhere. And I said, hey, babe, we really, was it in the noon or was it for dinner? 
was it dinner? It was dinner time. I said, babe, I, I need to go by the church because I forgot my notes for Sunday school class for the youth ministry, and I need to grab those and look them over tonight, which wasn't that big a deal because I often forgot my notes at the church, and we often had to go by there before we went to dinner. And so we went by, and I said, babe, how about you come in with me? And she came in, and we ran around the corner, and the two girls were standing there. And they said, we have your table ready. And she's like, table? What are you talking about? You have my table ready. And so they opened the door, and she saw the lights and the tool and the roses, and she was like, oh, this is really cool. And then the two guys came out with bread and, and sparkling white grape juice and poured us some glasses and, you know, make a big deal out of it, right? And we sit down at the table, and I said, well, what do you think about the decorations? She's like, oh, they're really pretty. I said, but how do you feel about the decorations on the table? They're, they're really nice. But but specifically, like right around your area, how do they look right in this area? She's like, well, they look really good. Thank you. I don't know why you're making a big deal. She didn't say that. That's probably what you were thinking. And I reached over and I just grabbed a rose pillow and I moved it and there was the ring box. She's like, <gasps> looked at me. It's like, is this happening? And I got down on a knee and I said all the sweet things and asked her to marry me. But it was well planned out. It was well planned out because it was, it was really important. It was really, really important. When you think about this Christmas story, this gift of Jesus, one of the things that we have to hold on to is this idea that that gift was well planned out. If you look at John chapter 1, 1 through 5, this is what John writes. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word is, is a capital W because he's talking about Jesus. It says, In the Word, Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. He, he, the word, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing has, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has understood it. And later on, a little bit later in the chapter, he says, and the word became flesh. So what you have to understand is that from the very beginning, as creation was happening, Jesus was standing there by his Father's side, experiencing this whole creation. The scripture says that creation happened through Jesus. And what we know about God and about is, is that he exists outside of time. And the moment that he breathed life into Adam, he understood that one day he was going to have to give his life for all Adam and all Eve, so that they may be redeemed. It's not like God just had a, an idea one day and saying, man, man sure has made a mess of themselves. I guess i got to send my son you know, to be the sacrifice. No. He knew from the very beginning it was well thought out. It was a gift that was well considered from the very beginning of time. Now that's some serious planning. If you go by how long something's planned... It's a good gift. Not only was it well planned out, but it's a gift for everyone. For everyone. One of my favorite Christmas movies is Christmas Vacation. Anybody Has anybody watched it yet this year? Love, love Christmas Vacation. Um, there's, a, there's one character in Christmas Vacation that, I, that, I, that I've, I love the most, and it's not Clark Griswold, or it's not the grandmother, you know, wrapping the cat and the jello, um, but it's Cousin Eddie, right? 
Cousin Eddie out in his robe, dumping the RV into the street. Cousin Eddie, you know, kidnapping, you know, his boss and bringing him with a red bow on his head. That Cousin Eddie that brings Snot, the dog, you know, that eats and gets into everything. That Cousin Eddie is, is my favorite character of that movie. And here's the thing about Cousin Eddie, is that every family has a Cousin Eddie. Right? And here's the thing, is that if you don't think your family has a Cousin Eddie, it's probably because you are the Cousin Eddie. If you can't point to that person and say, yep, that's Cousin Eddie, it's probably because you are Cousin Eddie. We all have one. We all have that person. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 16, this is really fascinating. Matthew, before he starts writing about the birth of Jesus, actually writes about the genealogy of Jesus. And, uh, and this is what he says in Matthew 1, verse 1. He says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. You kind of get an idea of how this is going to go, right? Because the Jewish people, when it came to genealogy, it's all about the dads. And it's all about the sons. That's all that really matters in the genealogy. But for some reason, Matthew decides to throw a curveball in this whole genealogy process. And listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, if you don't know who Tamar is in the Old Testament, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah, whose husband died before she had children. And so her plan to get pregnant and to have kids to carry on the bloodline is that she actually got Judah drunk and slept with them, and that's how she had her children. And that's who Matthew chooses to write about. And then it keeps going. It says, Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Now, don't hold me to the pronunciation of these names because it gets a little crazy. Nashon, the father of Salome, or Salmon. Salmon? Salmon, maybe? Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab. If you're familiar with the Old Testament story of God's people coming up to Jericho and when they're coming into the promised land and needing to find out how to, what's in this city, these great walls. And so they sneak in and Rahab, the prostitute, notices them and takes them into safety and lowers them out and gives them safe passage out so that they can report how to get in and how to defeat Jericho. Rahab, the prostitute, mentioned by Matthew. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a beautiful woman, a wonderful woman. But the thing about Ruth is that she actually wasn't Jewish. She was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. She was one of those people that God over and over and over again said, I'd prefer you not to marry these type of people. They're not in our plan, right? Mentioned by Matthew. Obed, the father of Jesse. We like these names coming up. Jesse. The father of King David. King David, yeah, we love King David, right? But David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Bathsheba, who when David's army was out to war, saw her bathing on a, mount, on a rooftop and sent for her and took her and laid in bed with her and and got her pregnant. A married woman. 
whose husband was going to battle for him. And she gets pregnant. And he's like, I don't know what to do now. I've got a pregnant woman that I wasn't supposed to sleep with. So the way to cover it up, I'll ask Uriah to come back from war. And Uriah, because he's been away from his wife, will want to sleep with his wife. And then they can lay together. And then the baby can be his and not mine. And, and we'll hide it. But Uriah refuses because all of his soldiers are at war. He says, I'm an honorable man. I'm not going to be with my wife when they can't be with theirs. And so David gets him drunk and tries again. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to send him back to war with a note saying to put him on a front line, pull my men away, and allow him to be killed. So David murdered him. King David. The David that we love. And, and Matthew includes Uriah, Bathsheba, in this genealogy of Jesus. You keep reading, and it goes on and on, and it comes to the end. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Gentiles, foreigners, evil kings, prostitutes, deceivers, murderers, and then just ordinary, everyday men. Matthew writes about. And also some really good men. Why? I mean, if it was me, I mean, I'm not sure if I, if I was writing the genealogy of the nuns, there might be a few people I'd want to skip out. But Matthew includes them all. Why? Because Jesus came for them. He gave his life for all. He was a gift for all. See, the meaning of Christmas, the gift of Jesus, was a gift for every man. For every woman, good, bad, plain, ordinary, not just a select few, but for the whole world. Paul, 1 Corinthians, he's writing a letter to the people there. And listen to what he says. This is one of the most beautiful backhanded compliments I think I've ever heard. He says, brothers, think of what you are, what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. <laughs> not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Again, really appreciate that, buddy. You know how to build people up. Not many were of noble birth. Okay, well, we can all agree to that. But God chose, this is where the little backhanded compliments come in, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom from God. I love this. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. You see, the truth is, is that we can't be bad enough. We can't be evil enough. We can't be sinful enough to not receive this gift of Jesus. It's for everyone. Plain and simple. For me and for you. It's for all men. Can I give you one last thought? 
is that it's a gift that wasn't what was expected. Did you ever get a gift that you didn't see coming? My, uh, my dad, when I was growing up, he was the king of weird gifts. Um, especially for my mom. He still is. He still is. But for my mom, there was a couple year um, trend there that, that, uh, that he, one year my dad bought her a toaster for Christmas. Now, I don't know how many women would enjoy getting a toaster for Christmas, right? So she unwraps this gift in the size of a toaster because it is a toaster. And she looks at my, my dad and she says, a toaster. For me, for Christmas, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, there wasn't anything good about it. It's a toaster. I, I get the impression that women don't really like ordinary, common, you know, kitchen items for Christmas. You know, if, it better be something outlandish and amazing that they specifically ask for. Um, or you might get a beat down. And so my mom got a toaster. My dad said, just open the box. So my mom got this idea that it wasn't a toaster inside. And so she got, you know, the little pin out and punctured the sides and opened the tape and, uh, and popped it open, and it was a toaster. And she said, you, you've got to be kidding me. You built up my hope that there was something cool inside of this, and it's actually a toaster. And he said, just take the toaster out. And he's like, she's like, I'm not taking it. Take the toaster out. So she pulled the toaster out, and she took the little plastic off the side of it, unwrapped it, stood it up, and was looking at it, and he was like, it's a toaster. My dad said, push the button on the side. And so she pushed the button on the side that releases the little arm that goes up and down, and the little thing popped up, and money just showered out the top. Just poof. A couple hundred bucks. I was like, now we're talking for Christmas, right? We'll take, a, we'll take a toaster if it's got cash. The next year, my dad got her an umbrella. And she was wise to the idea now, because she got a toaster year before. And so she opened up the umbrella and just money flew out. You know, as the umbrella just, poof, money everywhere. It wasn't what was expected. She was expecting a toaster and got money, right? You see, when the gift of Jesus was, was here... It wasn't, he wasn't what was expected. See, the Jews were expecting a Messiah. But they were expecting a different Messiah. They were expecting a man riding in on a horse. A person to literally save them from slavery. I mean, they were an oppressed people. Roman rule. They were under the oppression of Rome. They paid taxes to Rome. They were not free people. And they thought this Messiah would come and he would set up a kingdom here on this earth and he would make them free. That's what they were thinking. That's what they were hoping for. That's what they were planning for. A revolt, a, a, you know, a, a revolution to take place. This new king and that they would be free people. That's not what they got. They got a savior. They got him in the form of a baby in a manger to a poor family not sitting on a throne. You see that gift? It wasn't what was expected. They were expecting power. And actually, Jesus gave them peace. And I look at the state of our world and our country right now, the craziness of the last few days, and tweets and nuclear talk and all this nonsense. I just think, man, what I wouldn't kill for a little bit of peace. Just peace. That kill is not the right way to say that. It was actually what I wouldn't do. I don't think I would kill anybody, but what I wouldn't do, that was a bad frame of choice of words there. But what I wouldn't do for just a little bit of peace. Listen to what the angel said in Luke 
They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. All men receiving peace. See, they were expecting power. They got peace. They were expecting revolt. Instead of that, they got the presence of God. You see, Jesus was God in the flesh. Over and over again in different sermons this year, I've used this little phrase, who is with you changes everything. And when you think about Christ, God in flesh, here in this world, bringing his peace and his presence, and we realize that that same God, that same Holy Spirit dwells within each one of us, it's the presence of God that brings peace. See, he also came... And that gift brought hope. Sometimes this world seems pretty hopeless. We live in a broken world. Some of us have broken families. There's brokenness all around. And God says, I'm bringing you hope. John eight twelve. This is what Jesus says. He said, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Because you will have the light that leads to life. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Now this might be some serious hope for some of us today. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Have you felt a heavy burden lately? Jesus says, come to me, let me give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you, it's light. Come to me. Find hope in me. Find rest in me. Find peace in me. Find the presence of God in me. Now that's a good gift. 